Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Book of Luke chapter 4, we read that Jesus was in the synagogue and he's preaching in the synagogue. And as he was preaching, things started to happen. A man began to manifest a demon spirit. Jesus spoke to it. The spirit came out in front of them all and they were feeling something in the air and then they were seeing something happen. And they turned to each other and they began to say, they were, the Bible says they were amazed. The word is ek pleso in the Greek, ek out of pleso, their mind. They're out of their mind with what was happening. And they said to each other, what a word is this? What word is this? For with authority he speaks, and even the devils are subject and come out. Again, they were amazed and they said, what is this authority that he has? Where did a man get this power and this authority? They recognized that the scribes and the religious and the doctors of the law did not have it. Religion has no authority. Spiritual authority comes out of relationship, comes out of intimacy with God. You can use the name of Jesus. Sons of Sceva did that. They said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And the demon said, Paul, we do know. Jesus we know. But who are you? Because there was no intimate knowledge. There's no spiritual authority without relationship. And the more time we spend in relationship with him, the more the authority that's in us in our words. So that people would begin to say, what is this authority? What is this legal jurisdiction? What is it about the words that are spoken because they seem to come out of another realm. They inspire and stir something in another dimension. You probably noticed by now, I don't like to preach just nice, delicate sermons. Because the realm of the Spirit is not, we're not dealing in a gentle realm. We're dealing with an enemy who wants to destroy us wants to take down our families, wants to destroy our homes, wants to wreck our finances, wants to wreck our health. If we are dealing with powers and principalities that raise up against us, then it's not a time for wishy-washy, half-baked Christianity. It's, it's not a time for watered-down... The warrior spirit that is needed in the body of Christ. Put on the whole armor of God. She might stand against the methods of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, world rulers, and wicked spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, take unto you the whole weaponry, pan, oplon, panoplia, Pass all hoplon weapons. Take unto you the whole weaponry of a fully armed, 
Roman legionnaire, but having that you may stand and having done everything to stand, stand therefore. The Bible is talking about a powerful military strength in the spirit. And I want to go there tonight. I want to spend a little bit of time and just talk about one man who understood spiritual authority. Tonight, in a short time, we want to exercise spiritual dominion over disease, infirmities, devils, depression, confusion, and let God have His way. The Bible speaks of a centurion. I want you to turn with me, please, in your Bible to Matthew chapter 8. I actually am quite old. I use a book. I use the King James. I like the King James. I like the, the fact that it's uh, Textus Receptus. I'm not too happy with Westcott and Hort, but anyway, that's another story. Some people just wrote that down. He's not happy with Westcott and Hort. When Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion. This is Memorial Weekend, and so it's good to talk about a soldier. There came unto him a centurion, beseeching, begging him, imploring him, and saying, Lord. I want you to notice that. Lord. Doesn't seem a lot. But in the context of who he was and his position and everything else, it was a deadly word for him to speak. He said, Lord, my servant lies at home, sick of a palsy, a paralysis, grievously tormented, excessively and vehemently tormented. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and he said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but say in a word, my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority. I'm also a man, one of the gospel says, I am also a man under authority, under legal jurisdiction. We'll look at that. Having soldiers under me and I say to this man, you go and he goes. To this one come and he comes and to my servant do this and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and he said to them that followed, I say unto you, I have not found a great faith. No, nothing like this in all of Israel. He was an interesting man. It's incredible in the scriptures that again and again, there popped up a centurion. Who was a centurion? To really get a grip on this passage of scripture, we need to work out exactly who a Roman centurion was, what he was like, and how much this centurion put himself out on the line, but also understood the authority of Jesus. Let's have a look for a moment. Who was a centurion? Well, if we were to take a Roman legion, Roman legion consisted of between five and a half and six, six and a half thousand men, if you count all of the uh, accessories that went with the military. But say five and a half thousand men. You had the leaders, the consul, the legate, the generals, 
camp prefect. And then you had the chief centurion. And under him, well, around 80, let me see, six centuries in each cohort, 10 cohorts, 60 centurions. Who was a centurion? A centurion was a regimental sergeant major, a gunnery sergeant, a, the one that gets in your face if you're in the military. And uh, to such a degree, this guy fits into a place that is the centre of the authority of the Roman army. The centurion, if we look at the, the legion, it is broken up into 10 cohorts. Each of those cohorts are broken up into six centuries. They've got their maths a bit wrong because a century was 80 men. It probably started as 100, but they kept calling it a century, even though it was only 80. Each of those, each of those centuries had over them a centurion. Who was he? He was a man who was raised up, who never, ever pulled back. He was a man who in battle was probably covered in scars. Julius Caesar had one that had been through 120 battles was scarred all over his body. And Julius Caesar loved that man so much he was almost considered him the most powerful man in his force. His legions. Each of these men had risen to a place of prominence because in battle they stood for the emperor, they stood for the Caesar, they would fight to the death in fact, the losses in battle of centurions was about the highest of any rank. They fought from the front row. If you can imagine this man, he was a grisly man, a hardened man, a man who'd killed and cut and hacked his way to his place of standing. He was a man who was feared to such a degree that when he walked around, he carried a whip made of vines he carried this whip with him. And if a man in the line was standing wrong or something, he would flog him with that whip there in the line. He beat men and had the authority if a man went to sleep to have pitch put on him, set him on fire. He could have men flogged. He carried that authority. He was a man who could read and right, he was a very literate man. He was educated because he had to take the orders that were coming down from the chief centurion. He was responsible for two centuries. He was over 160 men, but he was the toughest of the tough. But the commands would come down the line to the centurion. He had a second man that could also read but every order that came down had to be obeyed exactly and precisely. And he would carry it out to the letter, knowing that the full power of the Roman Empire coming down the line to him, he was backed by all of their authority. In battle, his position of the 80 men, he was at the front left-hand side. He was the first in. He knew how to fight. These guys held together the authority of the Roman armour, of, of the Roman weaponry, of the legion. 
They knew their position. They had a trusted position that they had earned in blood and with raw courage and they would obey orders to the letter, totally in obedience to Rome. But here a centurion comes to Jesus. Firstly, we read that he sent followers down and they came and they said, he's worthy. He's making a synagogue. He was working with engineers there. They all worked as engineers, but part of Herod's strategy was to please the Romans and please the Jews. And so Herod was on one side building, uh, bringing Hellenism in, pleasing the Romans, even on Herod's temple, there was a Roman insignia on the temple, playing all of his cards. And so he's building a synagogue. And this man's putting his own money in as well. And somehow he has developed a relationship with these leaders and with the work, and they appreciate him and love him. They said, he's worthy. But he was behind there probably listening, and he came himself. He said, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Not at all. In fact, he said, I'm not even worthy to come under your roof. Now, let's put this into perspective for a moment. The centurion comes to Jesus. He stands before him and he says, Lord, kurios, supreme in authority. Hold everything. He's under the authority of Rome. His supreme commander is none other than the Caesar. And he stands before Jesus and he says, Supreme in authority, I come to you. And he said, I'm begging you, sir. I've got a servant at home that's lying sick and dying. But then he said something to Jesus that was very interesting. He said, sir, calls him Lord twice. And then he said, I too am a man set under authority. He's earned his position and he's been promoted and set in a place of absolute authority, carrying his whip, whip of vines. In fact, it is said that Roman soldiers feared the centurion more than the enemy. They never backed down. And they expected orders to be carried out exactly, and he would make sure that those orders that were brought to him would be carried out with precision. And he said, sir, I too, like yourself, am a man set into a place of authority. I'm set in there. But he said, I see that there's something about you that I don't see with the scribes and the doctors of the law. Because they don't have what you got. But more than that, they're not operating from a place that you are. He said, I also am set into a place 
just as you are. And he pointed probably to one of his men and said, I say to this man, go. And if he doesn't go, he's in major trouble. If I say to him, go, he will immediately obey. I tell that man, you go and do this thing. Or this servant, go and do this thing. And he said, they move. They go. But he said, when you speak, something happens in another realm that I can't even explain. When you speak, your authority comes from a different dimension. You're set under the authority of a power that is so great and so mighty. In fact, it's so great that in my position of authority under Rome, sir, I'm not even worthy for you to come under my house. A Roman. A Roman in a nation that is in total control, that are ruling over those people as total servants. Yet he says, for all of our authority, sir, I am not worthy that you even come in under my roof. I think that had that word got back to the legate or even the camp prefect, he could have been up on a charge of treason. But he said, I'm not worthy that you even come under my roof. But sir, I recognize that when you speak, the whole spirit realm is under your lordship. And you see, when the church begins to come to that point where we understand that the entire realm of the spirit and then the outworking into the natural realm is dictated by the ultimate jurisdiction, which is there in the name of Jesus. Something happens when we understand that God has given us authority to speak to demon powers. And we come from a place of authority where like the centurion servants, they have to go. He saw the authority. The disciples saw that authority. They watched him. They watched him speak to the wind and the waves. He stood up on the front of a ship and pointed to the wind and he said, be still. And a hurricane stopped. I said, what man is this that even the wind and the waves are subject? They stood with him. When Jesus stood by a tomb, said, roll back the stone, Lazarus come out and uh, his words went into the realm of death and hell and circulated in that whole nether region. And a dead man wrapped in the grave clothes had been dead for three days. And he waited till the three days were up because the Jews didn't believe the spirit left for three. That's why he waited. And a dead man now very much alive, walked out of the tomb. They watched him again and again. They watched him walk on water. They watched him take dominion in every, every realm. His very first miracle, very first miracle. He said to them, fill these bowls with water and scoop it out. And as they did, the chemical formula of water, H2O, 
Two hydrogens, one oxygen. Suddenly carbon atoms appeared, electrons and neutrons. And the very first miracle that Jesus did, he demonstrated that he was master over the molecular realm. We read in John chapter 9 that there was a blind man, blind from his mother's womb. And Jesus got down on the mud, spat, made mud, pushed it into the sockets, probably empty sockets. He said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And as he went down to the pool of Siloam, which means sent and put the water to his eyes, his eyes were opened. I think there was probably nothing in there, just sockets. But now there were eyes and that miracle. He took clay and once demonstrated again that at his word, clay becomes a living thing. There's another side to that as well. How many times had people walked past and spat in that guy's face and then kicked up the dust? So he was cursed with the mud on his face. Jesus took the same, same thing that cursed him and turned it around to blessing. Blessing. See, I don't want to preach much longer. I'm going to try not to. I'm trying not to. But I can feel something happening here. Peter and John, Jesus, the last week, he was going down to the temple. He was going down. He told them exactly what he thought, and they were ready to kill him. So he went back up to Bethany, and he was coming down to turn over the tables. He had a whip in his bag. He'd made a cords. And as he's walking down, he saw a fig tree far off, having leaves that looked like it should have figs. And he was hungry. He'd had no breakfast, probably been up all night praying. And he went down under those leaves, and he looked through those leaves, but there was no fruit. The other leaves were out of trees were out of season. This one looked like it should be in season. Jesus spoke to the tree. And he said, no man will ever eat fruit of you hereafter. And the disciples heard him. 24 hours later, when they walked down, Peter turned to John and said, look at the tree. And they said, Lord, the tree that you cursed is dead from the roots. And he said, come here, guys. He said, if you've got faith as a mustard seed, you'll do the same. And he said, if you've got faith, As a grain of mustard seed, you say to this mountain, get up and go into the sea. And if you doubt not, but you believe in your heart that what you say is going to come to pass, you'll have whatever you say. He said, have God faith. You know what he's saying to us tonight? Have God faith. We have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We're full of the Holy Ghost. We're the power of God's in us like a fire if we dare to believe it. We have authority in His name. Not like the sons of Sceva. We've got authority to use His name because we know Him. Authority to speak to a mountain. There's people here with mountains tonight. Tumors and growths and long-term ailments. You're sitting here in pain tonight. You've got stuff that needs to happen in your family or your business. God says, have the God kind of faith. Because if you speak to that mountain... And say, get up and go and don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say is going to come to pass, that thing will get up and move. I think tonight's a good night to move some mountains, don't you? You see, Jesus delegated authority to the disciples and they went out and did the same. And then people marveled because they were doing the same thing. Before Jesus left the planet, he said, 
All authority or legal jurisdiction is given in my name. Go ye there for to all the nations. What's his instruction to me? To you? He's saying, Tim, to you as well, put your own name there. All authority, all, not most, all authority is given in my name. Go ye therefore, cast out devils, raise the dead. We've watched people off beds, get off beds that have been on their deathbed, watch them get up and run around buildings, watch blind eyes. My wife watched an, an empty eye socket fill with liquid and run down the face. She watched an eye form in the socket. I've seen the dead raised on several occasions in our meetings. And I know for a fact that as we walk in intimacy with him and dare to believe him, he's given us authority. Not only that, we've been set into a place of authority if we believe it. We in this church tonight have been set into a place of authority. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are blessed.